Good morning. How y'all doing? You doing all right? All right, good. Well, grace and peace be multiplied to each of you in the knowledge of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, truly, it is good to be here with you this morning. Um, for those of you who may not know me, and maybe your first time visiting, or uh, my name is Travel Rounds. Uh, I am a member here. Redeemer Fellowship, and uh, this morning I have the opportunity to serve you with the Word of God. Uh, so if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to the book of Acts. We are continuing in our series through the book of Acts. Um, this month, our primary preaching pastor, Pastor Joe, he is on sabbatical, and while he is on sabbatical, um, Folks like myself and other men in our church will be filling in to preach the word to you. Uh, so while he's on sabbatical uh, for these coming weeks, we ask that you would pray for him. Uh, pray that he would be, uh, find rest and that he would be rejuvenated all the more when he returns to us. Amen? Amen. Um, so we're continuing our series through the book of Acts, and we're going to look at Acts chapter 9. We'll be in Acts chapter 9 beginning at verse uh, 32. And while uh, we're finding our way there, I'm going to um, say a word of prayer for our time together and then we'll get started. Let's pray. Father, we are um, grateful to sit under the hearing and the proclaiming of your word. We are grateful for the great love and the mercy that you have for us that we even have the opportunity to do this boldly uh, without fear of persecution. And so Lord, now that as we come to sit under your word, we pray that you would give us hearts and ears and minds to receive your word. Help us not just to be hearers of your words, deceiving ourselves, but that we would be effectual doers of your word. Father, it is our prayer as always that you, through the Spirit of God, would use the Word of God to reveal unto us the Son of God. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, so how did you get here this morning? How did you get here? What I mean by that, I'm, I don't mean that you take an Uber or did you catch a ride with someone or did you drive or did you walk here. Um, what I mean is... What's your story? Do you realize how unlikely it is for all of us to be gathered together hanging out right now? I mean, I don't know about you, but if you've talked to a couple of people around you or maybe uh, a few folks on the other side from you, we don't have a lot in common. I mean, some of us do. We have some things in common. But by and large, most of us, we don't really have a lot in common. And some of us, and all of us, we have stories that are very unique. And if we describe the path that led us here today, uh, we might hear about stories of joy and triumph. We might hear stories of sorrow, right? Uh, we may hear about uh, some really sweet providences of the way that God has kind of worked things out for us to be here in a way that we may not even be really able to explain, Others of us, our stories are marked by surprise or by sorrow. But one of the things that no matter what our story is of how we got here, one of the things that we all have in common is our connection to Jesus. That whether you know it or not, the Lord Jesus has been working in your life to bring you to this very moment, uh, helping you to follow him, to seek him, to search for him. Ultimately, we are all searching for what our souls really long for, and that is life itself. Whether you know it or not, we've all been brought here together as a church this morning 
um, in the work of God through his son, Jesus Christ. And amazing ways that God has weaved history together because in his wisdom, he thinks that it's best for us to be together for this season of life, even in this very moment today. It's a part of the story, the, the grand story of the way that God is building his church, a story that I trust one day when we get to glory, we'll be able to see how God weaved all of this together and we'll do nothing but fall down on our face and proclaim, holy is the Lamb of God. I mean, do you realize that there's really no such thing as luck or chance? That everything that happens, happens on purpose, on God's purpose. It is all a part of the plan uh, just to get us to where he wants us to be and to arrange all of the situations and the circumstances of our lives. Even the things that have been evil that has been done to us. The evil that has been intended, God has meant it for good. We may not even be able to fully see that yet, but... The work of Jesus is building his church. He has a plan for us. We see that in the book of Acts, as God begins to build his church, beginning at Pentecost, and as we see that he progresses all the way through, even now, still to the day, decades and centuries and thousands of years, as we come now to the book of Acts, we're going to see the groundwork of God's providential working in the midst of various people's lives. How he's weaving uh, lives together so that he can build his church. And then, as we look at this, we'll take lessons from their lives of how we too can walk with him and how we are to hope of the way that he's building his church even today. So our text this morning, um, we're going to look at Acts chapter 9. As we look at this text this morning, if we're going to kind of summarize all of this together, kind of one big main idea to see everything that's happening here, we can summarize this text like this. This is the main idea. If you get nothing else from the sermon, get this. God's feeble church. God's feeble church progresses by the power of the risen Christ. God's feeble church, the church that he is building, it progresses, it grows by the power of the risen Christ. I think we'll see that in the text. So what's happening here is that we're going to catch up with the apostle Peter. And the last time that we see Peter was in chapter 8, verse 25. And we're going to see um, in one of the ways that the book of Acts, how God is building his church. And that, that is that the gospel is being proclaimed all over. And the apostles... They are working signs and wonders to attest to the fact that this message that they're proclaiming, this same message that Jesus proclaimed, the same Jesus who did miracles when he was here on earth, they are proving the authority of the risen Jesus even here today now, that that message is a true message. And so in verses 32 through 43, we have two miracles here. Uh, first, in verses 32 through 35, we're going to see uh, the restoration of a bedridden man. The restoration of a bedridden man. And then in verses 36 through 43, we're going to see the resurrection of a beloved woman. The resurrection of the beloved woman. That's how we'll walk through this text. So first, let's see the restoration of a bedridden man. Look at verse 32. And now Peter went there. He went, 
here and there among them. And he came down also to the saints at Lydda. And then he found a man named Ananias, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Ananias, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. <coughs> Excuse me. So Peter here, um, he's on a tour to a bunch of churches all around. And as he's on this tour, uh, he's going around to check in with these young churches. Uh, this is pretty common in this particular time for the apostles to go in and check in on these young congregations. He's there to answer their questions that they have or to address pastoral issues that they may have. And ultimately, he's there to deepen their faith and their trust in the truths of Jesus. And now, we do not have apostles walking around touring the church today. There are no apostles no longer around today. Uh, one of the stipulations to be an apostle was that you had to see and be under the ministry of the Jesus when he was living on the earth. So we don't have any of that today. So if you happen to go to a church and you see an apostle and they claim to be an apostle, check mark number one, get out of there, run, turn and go. We have no apostles here today, but with that being said, the apostolic cleansing and the edifying work of the apostles still goes on today. How so? Well, it goes on through the teaching of the New Testament. The New Testament is written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by the apostles and it has been preserved for us by God's providential kindness so that we can uh, read the word and preach the word and consistently be instructed by the apostles' teaching. So even though Peter will not show up here today to tour the church, we can take the word of God and we can proclaim it and we can continually seek to be adjusted by it and humbled under it. And so here Peter, he comes on his tour and he visits the saints who are at Lydda. Now this is a city, Lydda, that is about 25 miles northwest of Jerusalem. And on the road is on a road that's between Jerusalem and a place called Joppa. We'll learn more about Joppa in a minute. The city is a seacoast city. And this is the first time in the book of Acts that we actually hear about this city called Lydda. And so Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, has not given us much insight about uh, these believers and where they've come from. Um, theologians suggest that it may be from the ministry of Philip, but we don't really know. But what we do know is that the gospel has gone forth and that it is bearing fruit and lives are being changed by it and there a church has been planted. And do you notice uh, uh, what they call the believers here in uh, verse 32? He came down also to the saints, the saints who lived at Lydda. This saints is another word for believers. Uh, does anybody here actually know what the word saints mean? It means holy ones. It means set apart ones. That's what believers are. We are set apart. Set apart from the world. We're set apart from our sin, but we're not just set apart from something. We're set apart to Christ. And that's what believers are. And so Peter here, he comes and he mingles with this church. And in verse 33, he finds a man by the name of Ananias. And now, we don't know much about this man. We don't know if he was a believer or not. But what we do know is that his name is preserved in the Holy Writ for us. So which indicates typically that he was either a believer or that he became a believer after this particular incident. And so, 
he comes and we don't know much about him, but what we do know is that he's been bedridden for eight years because he was paralyzed. And the fact that he had been bedridden for eight years indicates that he uh, likely has been like this for longer than that. We don't know his story. And I trust maybe one day in glory we will get to hear it fully, but we don't know if he had a terrible fall or if there was some kind of accident or if he fell sick. We don't really know what happened, but what we know is that he has been laid down, paralyzed for eight years. And I, and I think it's important to kind of take a step back as we read these kinds of stories in the Bible and to not just see these as uh, a far-off fantasy. But these are real people. They had real stories. My family, they're all, with the exception of myself, they're all in medicine. Dad's a doctor, mom's a nurse, my sister's in nursing school. They're all in My brother was in dialysis, and he used to tell me a story about a young man that he befriended, come to dialysis him by the name of Dennis. He was a young man, 22, 23 years old, and he was completely paralyzed from the waist down. And he had been like that since he was a child. And he had so many health complications. And, and the reason I bring that up is because, again, when we read stories like this, they're real people with real stories. And some of us may have similar stories like this or encounter similar situations like this, even though it may not be our exact plight. And so Peter approaches him and he speaks words to this man that I'm sure that he had longed to hear for almost nearly a decade he says, Peter, or Peter says to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. Now, we don't know if there was any kind of conversation that led up to this, but we know that Peter healed this man in the name of Jesus. He was healed, y'all. I mean, that's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. I mean, think about that for a moment. Immediately, he rose up. This was nothing other than a supernatural miracle. I mean, has anybody here ever been injured before? You ever been hurt? Like, you know, I know if I sprain my ankle, I'm out for at least three weeks. I can't walk, can't do anything. I'm a baby. But if you get hurt, right, you may have to get surgery, go through physical therapy. There's a process to get back to full health. But not with this guy. This man, he can't move. He's paralyzed. And in the name of Jesus, stand up. And he got up. That's exactly what he did immediately. There's no scientific or medical explanation. This is what we call a miracle. Divine intervention. God had pity on this man. And notice here that Peter, uh, he does not pretend to, to do this in his own power. He doesn't come and say that either first pope of the church. I, Peter, the rock upon which the church is being built. I, the chief apostle. He doesn't do any of that. But what he does is he, he doesn't come in his own name because he knows there's no power in his name. There's power in another name. That is the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. This man's sickness needed a great cure. And there's only one cure great enough and that is the name that is above every name that is the name Jesus Christ and so as I was reading this it came to my mind of wondering why did Peter actually do this right why did he do this he could have just 
come and loved on this man. He could have served him, you know, helped him out, got him water when he needed it. Um, that would have been the essence of Christian love. In fact, it's evidently what this church had already been doing. This is how they've been loving this man already. So why then did Peter come to the scene and decide to heal this man? Well, certainly, uh, he wanted to help this guy. He's been bedridden. But he goes beyond mere human compassion and goodwill. You see, Peter here is uniquely carrying on the ministry of the risen Lord Jesus as an apostle. And Peter had received uh, divine access to the ability while Jesus was on earth. He's carrying on the ministry of Jesus. Um, listen to this that Luke says back in his first gospel. In his gospel, uh, we get a flashback at his first album here in Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9, he's talking about the ministry of Jesus Christ on the earth. And he says, Jesus says uh, that he called the 12 together and he gave them power. Listen to this. He gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases. And they departed and they went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So Jesus Christ himself had bestowed on the apostles the authority. And notice, again, Peter did not have this authority and this power. He didn't get it from seminary. He didn't get it from um, like a, a pawn shop. He didn't come up with this. It was divinely bestowed upon him uniquely. Divinely bestowed power. And the purpose of this power was to prove the message was to prove that this message that they're proclaiming about Jesus is true. To prove that Jesus Christ has the authority to forgive sins. That that is true. In fact, Jesus himself says that this is the reason that he performed miracles when he was here on earth. Listen to this. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is getting ready to heal the man. And the Pharisees are kind of throwing shade at Jesus. And, and, he's, and the Bible says this, that he's speaking to them he knows their thoughts which is kind of ironic because only God knows thoughts right so he knows their thoughts and he says why do you do evil in your hearts for which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk but you may know that the son of God, the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins and he said to the paralytic rise pick up your bag and go home and he rose and he went home so Peter here is an apostle of the Lord Jesus, and he's uniquely carrying on the ministry of the risen Lord Jesus. And one of the things that the writer here, Luke, wants us to know is that Jesus is alive and well. That Jesus is not in some grave in Jerusalem, but he has been raised from the dead, and he has ascended up to glory, and he is alive and well, and he is building his church through the apostles and through their word in the church. And we may wish to have this ability ourselves. How many of you would like to have the ability to heal? I mean, come on, you can just walk up to people that you love and just say to them, take up your bed and walk. That would be incredible. I mean, it would be super amazing. And in fact, there are some traditions that claim they have the ability to do this. In the tradition I grew up in, we claim that we have the ability to do this. And I want to say that God can, in fact, heal. Hear me clearly. God can, in fact, heal at any time, anywhere that he wants. He can heal. And we should be people that pray for God to heal miraculously. There may be stories even here amongst us in this congregation of how God has done some amazing things, divine intervention, healing kinds of things. But... 
What God thinks we need most is his preserved word. What he thinks we need most is the word of God. And some of us may want signs. Some of us may want that wonder. But no, 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 no. Uh, we may think that if I just saw a sign or if I just saw the wonder, I would believe. But we have full proof here in the scriptures that Jesus was alive walking the earth with people in their homes, eating dinner with them, and they still didn't believe. In fact, they were plotting to kill him. Seeing is not always believing. And so the Lord says that what you need is you need this to be recorded so that you know that this message that's being relayed to you, that's been preserved for you, it is a true message. What we need is we need to walk by faith and not by sight. And this account and all of the healing accounts like it, they are intended to point us to our need for the power of Jesus to work in our lives. Because though we may have physical ailments that we wish the Lord will address, and certainly some of you have them, and I know this is the case, but what he wants us to know is that we have an even deeper need than our physical needs, a greater need. We have an incurable situation that we are too weak, too lame, too unable to help ourselves, and that is our own sin. God has made us aware that we need his healing grace. Has God made you aware of your need for grace? Has God made you aware? Has he shown you that your soul is paralyzed with sin and that there is nothing that you can do about it? You can try to make all the changes in your life that you want. It won't fix it. You can go for years and years and try 10,000 other things and try it, but it will not fix it. It will not make it well. It's texts like this that intend to point us to a deeper spiritual reality that we need the great physician to heal our greatest need, which is our own sin. This account is intended to cause us to cry out to him for mercy and to believe that Jesus is indeed the son of God. That the son of man who will forgive your sins and he has the authority to do so. And this is what in fact this miracle produced in the city of Lydda. Look at verse 35. It says all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. Luke says that this display of grace, this unique display of grace in this man's life brought about a revival unlike anything they had seen before. That people turned from their sin and they turned to the Lord. And that, that turning to the Lord uh, from their sin, that is another way of saying believing or repenting. That's what it is. They turned away from their sins and they turned to the Lord. That's what faith is. That's what belief is. We turn away from our sin and we turn to the Lord. And they turn to him and they say, we, we don't know everything about you, but we've seen your power. We've heard the message and we want to be changed. We believe that it's true and we want your help. We want to follow Jesus. And that's what happened. They wanted to follow Jesus as a result of this display. And really quickly, before moving on to the next healing, to the next miracle, I just want, I want you to notice here um, that God has a plan 
in the midst of personal pain. God has a plan in the midst of personal pain. I don't know how long it's been for you. Maybe eight years or 18 years or 28 years or 88 years or whatever, however long that you've been dealing with some kind of heartbreaking, soul-crushing pain. This text is intended to remind you that God is in no way baffled by your circumstance. But he has a plan for your ultimate good and his glory in a way that his tenderness is calling all of us to trust him. Trust him. Don't give up. None of this is wasted. God wastes nothing that happens in this world. And you may feel like this man today. You may be laid low by your sin, and by your suffering, or by your circumstances, but this text is intended to point you to Jesus, not from him. Run to him, trust him, cry out to him. Say, I want to rise up. I want to be made well. I want to walk. He loves, he loves to answer those sorts of prayers. So cry out to him. Well, Peter, he's not done. He's not done here because at the same time that this tragedy and miracle happens, uh, there's another tragedy that happens in a city nearby. Look at verse 36. We're going to see uh, here the resurrection of a beloved woman. Point two, the resurrection, resurrection of a beloved woman. Verse 36 it says, now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorka. That's an unfortunate name. All right. Uh, she was full of good works and acts of charity. And in those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in the upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. And so Peter rose and he went with them and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room and all the widows stood beside weeping and showing tunics and other garments Dorca made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and he knelt down and he prayed, turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And when she opened her eyes and when she saw Peter, she sat up, she gave her his hand and he raised her up. And then calling the saints of the widows and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. All right, so Joppa is a city. Again, it's near northwest of Jerusalem. Uh, it's a seacoast city. It's a seaport city. Um, and Joppa, if you're familiar with your Old Testament, is a famous city. Anybody know what Joppa's famous for? Jonah. Anybody remember Jonah? It's famous for when Jonah uh, wanted to ensure that the gospel of forgiveness would not go to those detestable Gentiles in Nineveh. He ran away to make sure that people did not get grace. But now there's another prophet of the Lord who is led to Joppa in faithfulness and he brings good news of hope to the Gentiles. And on this occasion, he, he brings from death a disciple of Jesus named Tabitha. Tabitha, that is her name in Aramaic, and uh, her name in Greek is Dorca. Um, and th there's a really a reason for this. The, the reason that it's recorded in both these ways is that one of the things you'll notice, um, specifically in the book of Acts, but also in the Gospels about the writings of Luke, is that um, 
he does a really good job of knowing that everyone that's reading is not fully cued in on what's happening there. And so he does a good job of making sure that all parties involved understand what's happening here. So that's most likely the reason why it's listed in both ways. So that way both Jews and Gentiles wouldn't read this, wouldn't know what's happening and what her name was. He's serving both audiences. Luke is a good friend. He's the friend at the corner of the party with you and saying, hey, this is who that is and that's who that is. I'll tell you about her later. He's just that kind of friend. And so in verse 36, this woman, she was known for her generosity. Verse 36, she was full of good works, which means that she was a servant, and acts of charity. And so the words acts of charity, it's, it's a unique sort of word that's uh, it's given to, it's about those who give to, uh, to those who are in need. It's a word that is used to help those who are poor, to those who help the hurting, the outcast, the forgotten. It's a unique word that highlights the kindness that she has towards those who are unable to help themselves. And so this woman, Tabitha, she has the very heart of God. And when you read through the Old Testament, it becomes very clear that God has a heart for those who have been trampled upon, those who have been forgotten, the outcast. And then in the New Testament, we read the same thing. That same God in the Old Testament is the same God of the New. James says this. He says that the religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James says orphans and widows, those who are unable to help themselves, her heart reflected the very heart of God. She cares about the uncared for. And now we don't know again what happened here, but the Bible does tell us that she became ill and she died. And it seems just kind of from the circumstances that this was kind of sudden and unexpected. And so it breaks the heart of this church, which, by the way, I think is important to note here really quickly that faithful, godly Christians can have very fruitful ministries and fruitful lives be interrupted by sickness and by death. And the reason I want to point that out is because there, there's another gospel out there uh, that says that if you really love the Lord, if you're really walking faithfully before him, then these kinds of things will never happen to you. You'll never face this kind of trouble. You'll never get sick. You'll never die, really. And I just wanted to make it clear, and the Lord here wants to make it clear, that wherever that message comes from, it does not come from him. And now we see here that she dies, and they washed her, and they take her up to and preparing her body for an eventual burial. And they laid her up in an upper room. Now, this is not the normal custom of the, of the Jews of that time. Uh, typically, they do same-day burial. And so we don't really know what happens here. It's most likely, but we don't necessarily know. Most likely, they heard what happened in the city nearby in Lydda. And they prepared a body and said, go get Peter and maybe he can help her. And so that's what they do. They call for Peter. And in verse 38, they sent two men urging him, please come to us without delay. And so this church... They love this fallen sister. And they're going to do whatever they can to help her. And in verse 39, the Bible says that Peter rose and he went to them. And now as all of this is unfolding, just kind of think about it. Put that picture in your mind, right? We have someone who's beloved. They die tragically. And then they're laid in an upper room. And again, if you're familiar with your Old Testament, maybe images of Elijah and Elisha are roaming through your mind right now where there's healings like this happen with them in the upper room. And I think 
that we're supposed to make that kind of connection. Because it points us to the fact that the same God who was working then is the same God who's working now in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Peter, he arrives, he goes to this upper room and watch again. Can you imagine that, right, Peter's, he's rolling in there and everyone's there walking up the steps to the upper room and they're like oh, weeping and crying and they're like, oh, there he is. Help us, please. We need your help. And he comes in verse 39, all the widows stood beside weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcan made while she was with them. All right, two things really quickly here that I want you to notice. First, about this woman, I want you to notice that her faith had proof. Her faith had proof. You could see her faith. This woman's life was filled with thoughtful generosity that blessed everyone around her. And when I read this, and when I saw this, I, so many things came to my mind about the people, even in our own church, that the things that we've done over the years. I think about all of the meals that have been served to one another in the years and times of sickness and sorrow. And I think of families here that have opened their homes and invited people in to stay with them. I, I think of families here and people that when they hear of a need in our church, their first thought is, Lord, help me to be an answer to this prayer. And that's what this woman was. Her, her faith had proof. I mean, everyone around her, they would look and say, look, she's a good Christian woman. And they notice how she helped those who could not help themselves. And all of the forgotten people, all of the outcasts, she helped everyone. They were all helped by her. And the other thing that I think it's important to notice here is that in verse 39, before we see the miracle here, what are they doing in the text besides showing their tunics? What are they doing? They, they're weeping. They're weeping. And the reason I think it is important to highlight this is because it is not a lack of faith to mourn, to grieve, to weep over sorrowful things in this life. And there are Christian traditions out there that try to mute the reality of death. And I think they are well intended, right? They're, we say things like they're with the Lord now and uh, um, they're, no, they're no longer in pain, which all of these things are true. Praise be to God, that's totally true. That's why we have text that says, we as the people of God do not grieve as the world. Those who have no hope, we grieve with hope. But we grieve. And as I studied this, this week, I, I, I really was impressed. To, and I thought, man, I think somebody may need to hear that. That it's okay to grieve. It's okay to mourn, to weep. And I pray that we don't see that as a lack of faith. The world is filled with broken and hurtful things, either things that may have happened to you or things that you wanted to happen that did not happen. And I want you to know that it's not a lack of faith necessarily because God's people weep. And so here the Lord, he comforts them. The Lord comforts us. He's near to the brokenhearted. He will save you. He will help you. And so Peter, he calls for privacy in verse 40. 
He puts them all outside and he knelt down and he prayed, turning to the body. He said, Tabitha, arise. And so he bows down and he calls on the power of God to act. And so prayer here is emphasized all throughout the book of Acts because the people of God, we depend on God to move. And God heard his prayer and he opened her eyes, verse 40. And when she saw Peter, she sat up and he gave her his hand and he raised her up. Now, if you thought the last healing was amazing, and it was, this is just spectacular. A dead person coming back to life. She was dead. And now she's alive because the Lord Jesus is still at work. And he raised this beloved daughter and God brought her back to life. And if this sounds familiar, again, scenes of Elijah and Elijah may be rolling through your head about how they did healings in upper rooms. But not only that, but a similar healing was done by the Lord Jesus himself. You may remember in Luke chapter 8, it's recorded there the healing of Jairus's daughter, a 12-year-old daughter. She, was, she fell sick and she died. And when Jesus came to the house, no one was allowed to enter except Peter. <laughs> Peter, James, and John, the father and the mother of the child. And they were all there weeping, the Bible says, and they were mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but she's sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by her, the hand, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. So this healing, and all of these healing accounts that we read in the scripture, they are intended to remind us all that the same Jesus that healed then it's the same Jesus that is healing now. That he is at work through the apostles and through the apostles' teaching as evidence that he has the authority to bring what's dead back to life. And yet again, this is to point us to the greatest reality of our need is to be raised from the dead of our sin. Now again, listen, God can in fact raise people from the dead today. Is that something normal? Certainly not. But what we're supposed to see here is a, a preview of the work of God that he is going to do. Can you imagine the celebration that erupted when she came back to life? Like, I mean, what, what do you do, right? You, she was just dead. She comes to life. I may be scared. I don't know. But you hug her and you, you cheer. You celebrate. You're praising God, right? But this is just a preview of what's going to happen when that same Jesus, the same Jesus that Peter came in his name, when he returns, he's going to raise all of those who have trusted in Christ. He's going to raise us up and he's going to take us to a land where there will be no more death, no more pain, no more sorrow. That is the hope of all believers. Death does not win in the kingdom of God. But I do, do, I think it's important to point out here, notice that God does not think it's important for us to hear Tabitha's testimony. Her testimony of maybe what she saw on the other side. We don't have the book of Tabitha where she, she tells it all. This is what happened when I died, y'all. But God seems to think that his word is sufficient. And I know that may seem super spiritual to kind of learn new things and new revelations about God, but I would caution you against that. The Lord says what you need is what you have. 
This word is su sufficient for you. Trust it. Notice again, verse 42. And as a result of this, it all became known throughout all of Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. So the same thing that happened back in 35, uh, verse 35 happened here. They turned to the Lord. This miracle is trending everywhere. Every news outlet picks it up in Joppa. And what happens? They begin to turn and trust the Lord. And people start believing and they point to this miracle. And they point to both the miracles and to those apostles and what they've done. And now, yes, I would say that um, we would love to see all sorts of these kinds of miracles in our day. But again, the Lord has preserved for us these miracles, these happenings in his word. And this is by no means all that happened during that time. But what he has preserved for us, he says, I want you to see them and I want you to believe on what they point to, which is Christ himself and the power that he has to raise people from the dead. He said this to Thomas. After the resurrection, they were all, the disciples were in the room, door locked. And Thomas didn't believe that the resurrection had happened, so Jesus shows up in the room. He says, here, Thomas, put your hands in my, holes in my hands and the holes in my side. And he says, blessed you because you've believed, but blessed are those who believe and have not seen. He calls us to walk by faith and not by sight. The Bible says many believed in the Lord. And this is how God is building his church. Through the preaching of the gospel, even in the midst of persecution, in the midst of painful personal tragedies and even death. And I think if we went around here this morning and we answered how we got here, I think it would sound a lot like this. Our stories are interwoven together with all of these things. There, there's much suffering in this life. But the Lord is building his church in spite of it. And the final thing that I want us to notice before we close here is verse 33, 43, excuse me, that he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon a tanner. So Simon, Peter, stays with Simon the tanner. And why does he mention that here? Why is he staying with Simon a tanner? A tanner, by the way, is uh, someone who handles uh, the bodies of dead animals and they take their skins and they treat them to make leather. Now, according to Jewish law, in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 40, you can look it up and read it. It says that anyone who touches a carcass of the dead, of a dead animal, is considered unclean. So now Peter, a Jew, is staying with Simon, a tanner. Why? Because that's what the gospel does. The gospel fulfills all of the shadows of the Old Testament and brings us together in a new covenant where Jesus brings the clean and the unclean together and they both at the sight of Jesus realize that they are all unclean before the Lord and then he heals them of the great tragedy of their sin. He makes them new. He brings them together as a family. This is what the gospel does. God is building a church. He's building a people and he's tearing down all of the walls between Jews and Gentiles, clean and unclean. And he's bringing all of us together, together as one, as a family. And that's why Peter is staying with Simon a Tanner. 
Peter's staying with him because the gospel is changing the world. Through the gospel of love, God is reconciling us to himself and not only to himself, he's reconciling us to each other. Regardless of our backgrounds. We're going to see more of that next week when we see the preparation of how the gospel gets to Cornelius. But as I close, in conclusion, however, I want us to remember the way that we got here this morning. We're not here by luck or by chance, but we are here as part of God's providential plan to pull us closer to himself, whether you realize it or not. Whether you know him or don't know him, God is working in your heart right now to draw you to himself. God is working in your life and he's calling all of us, all of us to rally around this message of the risen Lord Jesus Christ who has the power over sin and death. And may, this, may this give us confidence as we proclaim his gospel to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that you would help us to believe it. Oh, that you would help us to, to have faith. Uh, faith that we do not grumble of what we do not have in regards to miracles that we see happening every day in our lives. Or even grumble towards the suffering and the circumstances that we may be enduring. But Father, we pray that you would use your word. That, that you would comfort those who are suffering that you would show them that you have not forgotten them and that you have a plan even in the midst of their pain and that is to push them towards Jesus and not away. Father, we pray that you would make us a church of people who are humble like Tabitha. Oh, that we would be a bunch of Tabithas, that we would be a congregation and a family that encourages one another, that serves one another, that weeps when someone is weeping and rejoices when others are rejoicing. Oh God, that we may that you would help us make us one, that we may magnify you and bring glory to the name of Jesus. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.